there is a thin layer of white frost covering the grass here in my backyard. It is very cold. I am wearing gloves, three layers of clothing, a hat to cover my ears. And even though the sky is blue, the sun is shining on this afternoon, it is freezing. It's below zero this night. Uh, I think temperature dropped as much as uh, 10 degrees Celsius below zero. So uh, below freezing point. It is so cold that uh, <laughs> these cars are not honking at me here. I have just legally crossed the road, <laughs> making sure that I uh, didn't obstruct traffic. Um, it's so cold that when I came back from, the, from, from doing my groceries, I wanted to enter through the back door. I entered my key and I didn't manage to turn it around or something. Um, it seemed a bit stuck and, uh, and then it broke off. And now half of the key is still stuck in the door and I just have the, the end. Now that door should have been replaced a year ago. It was heavily damaged uh, uh, after the um, burglary attempt. Um, but I don't know exactly what causes it. It's probably just because of the incredible demand for um, this kind of work and the lack of resources and people. But the door still hasn't been replaced. So in a way, right now, I cannot even open it anymore. Um, let's hope that soon <laughs> something can be done to fix the situation because it feels kind of un uncomfortable to only have one door one access and one entry to my house um, because if, if that key for some reason breaks or that door can't be opened anymore I'll have to break a window to get back home or to get out for that matter oh, the, the house is uh, also very cold because of the kind of the problematic situation when it comes to insulation and so I've decided in order to save gas and uh, uh, save money to only heat the living room. <laughs> that's, that's where I sit all day long. Uh, thankfully, I have a quite large living room with a, a table where I can work and a comfortable chair where I can sit. It's also where I have my television. So the only thing that I don't have there is my bed. <laughs> but... My bedroom doesn't have to be heated because I have a very thick duvet from Ikea, like winter and summer combined, so it's very warm. Um, I just have to tuck in really well. And usually when I go to bed, only my nose is sticking out in the cold and the rest is covered. Uh, but uh, I do sleep a lot. I sleep very well. I don't know if it's related to the temperature, um, but... Uh, yeah, I, I just sleep so incredibly deep. And I have a ton of dreams. <laughs> and oftentimes I wake up and I still have a very vivid um, memory of, of what I dreamt. And sometimes it's just kind of... My, I have movie dreams. You won't believe it, but I actually have dreams that are very similar to James Bond movies or action movies and so sometimes it's a, it's really exhilarating and it's uh, <laughs> like I'm on a on the uh, the wing of a plane trying to get in because there's some other guy who tries to down the plane and I have to stop him etc so I've got these big action-filled heroic Schwarzenegger dreams <laughs> and then I have a lot of other dreams where it's m m more where there's more tension and where I can feel that uh, or where I can where I realize when I wake up and I write down the, the dream as far as I remember it that oftentimes it's just a reflection of what's on my mind and the things that I'm processing and that is what brings me to the topic of today's episode of The Walk it's this whole process of um of dealing with the things that you um, 
either struggle with or challenges or questions that you have or problems that you want to solve and how important it is to um, to make room in your life for that particular process. Um, we, we tend to divide our uh, time between input and output, right? We're, we consume and we produce. Uh, and consuming can be watching TV, reading a book, studying, uh, keeping up with the news, learning something. Uh, so everything that has to do with us taking in information um, or lessons and, uh, and, or, or just entertainment. It could also just be watching a, a story, reading a, a novel. It doesn't always have to be uh, necessarily related to, um, uh, to work. It can just be something you consume to relax. But it's still input. Your brain is still taking it in absorbing it, trying to remember things, trying to uh, learn, distill information, simplify it, etc. There's a whole machinery that is at work when you are consuming content. The second thing, what we do a lot, is output. It's our work, our obligations, our, the care for our family, um, walking the dog, preparing the the preparing dinner, cleaning the house, uh, washing your socks, folding the laundry. Um, all that, all that uh, production is what we are usually um, evaluated by. So at work, of course, what matters in most working situations is the output. Um, it's not just showing up, but it's also what do you get done and what's the quality of that and does it reach... Um, our our goals for the work that you've been assigned, um, and that output is also what we often value ourselves very much. I don't know if you if you've had weekends where, like at the end of Sunday, you're you're preparing for the next morning. Maybe you're cleaning the kitchen or already. <laughs> making lunch, <laughs> packaging lunch for the for when you uh, go to work the next day, and and you look back on the weekend and you wonder, well, where did it go? I didn't get anything done. I I thought on Friday that uh, maybe I could do this or that, and I should have painted the the <laughs> the woodwork of the house, or I wanted to uh, make some progress on, you know, whatever, and. And then you realize that it, it just evaporated. It's no longer there. Um, and, and that feels oftentimes uh, frustrating that throughout the week you're so uh, much focused on, on output. Um, and then for the weekend you want to have some personal output. You want to do something for yourself. And then it turns out you've just... Like you don't know where the time went. And if you start to... Um, uh, I got distracted by that sound. Do you know what that is? That clock, clock, clock. That's actually wooden shoes, Dutch wooden shoes. This guy, uh, it's an older man, was walking around on his wooden shoes. I think he is one of the tenants here of the, um, of the meadow, and there are usually, um, some horses walking around here, and I think there is a small cottage there, too. So I think he's heading there. It's pretty rare, despite what you might think of the Netherlands, but normally we don't walk on wooden shoes. And you might think that it's uh, uncomfortable to walk on wooden shoes, especially in the winter, because it, it, it seems so cold. But actually that is... I know this from experience, because I had a pair of wooden shoes in my first parish. They are very warm. The, the wood itself... Um, regulates temperature now, of course. Uh, you still need to wear uh, woolen socks or something like that, but it's actually quite insulating, the, the wood. Maybe even more than kind of synthetic material that usually forms our, our shoes. So, um, 
we when we then try to reconstruct so what what did i do this weekend it's mostly just us oh, sitting on saturday morning reading the newspaper and then spent some extra time uh cooking uh, maybe watched more tv than you wanted to um and instead of having one project that you could focus on there were like a hundred little things that you've done plus other people also claiming your time um and so at the end of the weekend you feel unproductive it's like i didn't get to do anything during the weekend well here is what we often forget and that is that our um our weekends are originally of course that is shifting right now in in society the weekends were there and especially the sunday for rest it's in the first story of the bible where god after creating the week basically and every day marks a, another event in in god's creative process um after all that is done god rests and so sunday has traditionally been a day of rest and recovery and not of productivity and not of consumption whereas in uh our society right now a lot of emphasis is put on uh making yourself useful even during the weekend and so you notice that around you lots of families are super busy during the weekend <laughs> they have the the kids have to go uh, to their various sports lessons or events and then um we cram in a lot of uh do it yourself projects and there's always something that needs to be done um plus if we're not producing something if we're not doing something we're busy consuming so we we fill the rest of our time with uh watching tv and uh well reading the newspaper if we have time or, or browsing endless streams of information on our social media feeds and uh, none of that really seems to fill us or fulfill us and at the end of the day you wouldn't recall a single post that you saw flashing by on your on your social media stream but we still have that idea that uh there was something missing Well, the thing that was missing was actually n- n- doing nothing it's this processing time um the time to not fill your mind either by uh consuming or by producing but by just being in this state of relaxation and that can be anything uh it can be walking like i do right now walking to going for a walk in the woods or maybe a relaxing form of of sports like swimming where there's just there's no goal there's not an achievement that you want to reach it's just um occupying yourself in a, in a way so that you can think and you don't have to do anything um and that processing time i know i remember that in in oof, Um, a couple of months ago i think i i i maybe this was even last year um i read a book about uh the way our creative mind works and how in uh many work situations if you overemphasize the production side and the efficiency side people actually become less productive less creative they tend to struggle more with um problem solving and uh they noticed that the, actually if you give people more time at the water cooler for instance just to just chat or kind of what what we so often label as wasting time if we give more time to people to waste and to do nothing or at least nothing intensive that actually the product productivity tends to go up this is a relatively quiet neighborhood but every once in a while there'll be a a big black expensive car because the people here <laughs> tend to have pretty high incomes at least judging from the houses that they build here in this neighborhood um it sometimes like this this one on the left 
is a, is a wooden house. It's this dark brown wood and it's built almost like a chalet in Switzerland or something like that. And it's, it's uh, hidden by the, by the trees. So I, this is the first time I actually notice it because normally in the summertime, a lot of the uh, bushes around the house are, um, are hiding <laughs> the house itself. But now only the, the pine trees are left. So it's really pretty very very nice um so the uh having having more time for people to to do nothing and to lose focus it's kind of um i think in the book it was called something like scatterbrain phase or scatter focus so you have hyper focus where it's all about concentration. You can use the Pomodoro technique to focus for 15 minutes. Uh, you've got all these tricks to get yourself going where the most important thing is, th is the first step. So you give yourself like five minutes to empty your inbox and, and you say, well, I, I can always stop at five minutes. That's I've got to do a minimum of five minutes. And uh, the moment you start, that's where the, your, your brain starts to go into uh, hyper-focus and you... You could continue probably more than five minutes. So there are all these productivity hacks that are uh, focused on um, getting rid of distractions and go in in productivity mode. Let's see, now I have to cross this busy road here in order to go into the woods. This is the same road actually comes from the rectory so all this traffic is uh, usually passing by my house <laughs> um, but then for the problem solving uh, aspects of our lives or if we need to connect the things that we've learned um, and and come up with new ideas or solutions that's where actually the scatter brain or the scatter focus is super important where you just deliberately try not to focus on anything particular so that your brain can do its job while you don't overcharge it. Um, it's a bit similar, if I can use an uh, analogy, with cooking. Um, <laughs> a few weeks ago I had friends uh, coming over for dinner and... I invited them to uh, follow me to the kitchen. I described this in uh, an episode of The Break uh, the other day. Um, and so I could continue to talk to them and host, be a good host, even though I still had to make sure that they would be fed well. And so while I was cooking, we were also talking. And I noticed that if they were talking to me and telling stuff, and at the same time I was preparing this recipe that I hadn't made before I got either I lost track of what they were telling me or I forgot what I was doing <laughs> and it was mostly the latter because I wanted to uh, to hear and to listen to their stories and hear what they had to say but then I made mistakes all the time and uh, it's it's for me pretty clear that a creative process like cooking is difficult to combine with like intensive listening uh, or you know the processing information that people give you. Um, the, the same is true for our day-to-day -day life. If we uh, are either consuming or we are producing, uh, we are focused on input and output. There should be another element which you could label as no put. So it's not input. It's not output. It's no put. <laughs> or Maybe another term could just be processing time, where you uh, create space for your brain to process. Now, uh, I guess you understand the gist of what I'm trying to say, but let me give you some examples on how this translates in, in my experience lately. Um, the, the amount of sleep that I apparently need, uh, in, at least recently, I think it has everything to do with processing. Um, I don't think it's a, it's a surprise when I tell you that this year has been uh, very intense 
on a certain level, not work-wise, because I didn't have all the pressure from the television job that I used to have, but, but on a personal level, uh, when it comes to uh, family matters, um, uh, like, how would you say that? Like internal commotion, all the, all the things that you're trying to reframe and, and think about and the changes in my life and in the lives of people that are near and dear to me. I think a lot of that, uh, of those circumstances have forced me to take more time for processing. And if I don't give that time to myself during the day, I think my body just claims it during the night and it just knocks me out and feeds me all these dreams. Now we're always dreaming when we sleep. Um, it's just that I think the intensity of the dreams that I was experiencing had uh, everything to do with this processing um, stage. Um, and, and, and oftentimes when I wake up and I write down the, the, the dream, I get insights and I start to understand, oh, so this is what I'm struggling with. Or uh, even in my dreams sometimes I'm, I'm changing my behavior. I'm experimenting with new behavior in old familiar situations. So that is clearly something that my brain is doing without me actually tasking it with anything. It's when I'm in this free mode and when you sleep, your, your brain does never go completely silent. The brain apparently, according to uh, neuro research, stays active, but oftentimes it, it uh, works on different levels where during the day you cannot really go because you, your brain is, is uh, necessary for, um, well, for the input and the output. <laughs> but when, in, when you sleep, that may seem like a waste of time. And that's how I looked at it for most of my life, funny enough. Even, even when I was in secondary school, I remember that I hated sleeping. I felt it was so, so useless and it felt like so unnecessary. And so I stayed up late, very late as a, as a teenager. Um, oftentimes I would read because that's what I would do. I would read books until 3 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning. Then I would sleep for a few hours. And then, of course, because of school, I had to get out of bed at 6.30 and uh, get on my bike and uh, <laughs> ride uh, for about 9.5 kilometers to, to school. Full day, homework, a bit of hobbies. And then I would feel that the only time that I could actually relax and, and just read a book um, sometimes I would listen to the BBC as well I loved uh, the radio plays that they aired and so I'd listen to those I would just take that from my sleep thinking that that was the only way for me to claim that, that downtime <laughs> two kids and a dog running by running past it's a beautiful white uh is it a Labrador or is it a... Oh, and there's a second dog who now also, wagging his tail, runs towards these kids because he thinks that there's a party going on. <laughs> Some of these animals have way too much fun in the woods. All right. So, and I think... I think it was a mistake that I... that I, st that I did not learn how important sleep was, especially in these, these teenage years where your brain is still developing and has to process so much information in school. And I continued this trend of sleeping very little and, and always working, always trying to be productive throughout my time in seminary as well. Where And even, even when I was already a priest and I was doing the communication studies in, uh, in Rome, um, I constantly was overloaded with work. And I, I, I skipped hours and hours of sleep every day just to get things done. And uh, the problem is nobody told me that that was a bad idea. And I didn't know anything about how the brain functions and how important it is to find that balance at the time. 
I, I wasn't a very healthy kid, and I certainly wasn't a healthy student. Um, and so that tended to become almost um, like a habit of always trying to minimize sleep in order to make time for production and uh, a consumption of information or processing. So I, I've done a ton of uh, exams, for instance, in, 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 at the university. I remember uh, in philosophy that would often happen where I would work an entire night. Like, for instance, there was this course on Hegel, and Hegel is not easy to read. It's very tough matter. And so I studied for days, and the night before the exam, I, uh, I, I was just trying to cram everything in. And then I did the exam the next day. Um, I got a very high note, I think like a 9 out of 10. And the professor praised me for having such a good grasp of the uh, contents of his course. And then the next day, I was in a conversation with fellow seminarians. And some of them still had to do that exam. And so they asked me, what kind of questions did you get? And what, what was the contents of, uh, of the exam? And I, I noticed that I had no recollection whatsoever. There's nothing that I had retained. Because the day after I did that exam, I was already studying for the next exam. And so, unfortunately, I think I spent years and years of my time studying at university. But in the wrong way, I didn't give myself, nor, it wasn't just me, it was also the system, didn't give you enough time to process all that information and to, um, to store it in your long-term memory, because that's another function of, of uh, no-put time or... Um, uh, processing time is that your brain literally needs time to move the information from the initial uh, resting place in your brain to the long-term uh, memory and before it can be stored it also needs to be processed and simplified you need to that's why uh, kids in school are often asked to uh, make summaries of, of books they read because that process of summarizing helps you with the retention process. I didn't want to turn this into a course on, <laughs> on the way our brains work. Uh, because I'm not an expert. I'm just... Uh, an, how do you say that? I, I like reading about how, how my brain works. Because it helps me to treat it better. Um, but I often think if only I would have learned that skill early in life to have a better balance between production hey doggy yeah <laughs> you want to play right you want to play hi <laughs> Come on, hey <sighs> i'm not over i'm not even going to explain <laughs> you know what happens the dog sees my um my dad cat on top of my recorder and thinks that i am a Hey, I'm ready for play. <laughs> I'm going to throw this recorder into the air so he can catch it. Unfortunately, that is not among my projects for today. <laughs> but if I had learned at an earlier age how, how important it is to have downtime and also to not um, get that, <clears throat> that prejudice um, of labeling everything that is not productive as as lazy as something that is inefficient and bad and actually you should optimize every single minute of the day um i i often still fall into that trap and it's because of a life of of uh of bad habits in this regard and also a very predominant view of downtime or off time as being wasteful and in some cases maybe even sinful because uh, this was a big thing in our education as children especially with uh, my mother who would always talk about the talents that you needed to uh, 
deploy and you couldn't bury your talons. And so if I would spend too much time on my hobbies, <clears throat> it would be labeled as uh, a waste of my God-given time and talents. And, uh, and of course, it's not just parents that do that, but it's also our entire system and our entire society uh, that seems to emphasize that, and, and, and it gets worse. Um, when I grew up, the stores on Sunday were closed. <laughs> but uh, nowadays, on Sunday, in, in a lot of towns and cities, the stores are open, and the kids that work there during the week are all also required to show up for work during the weekend and especially on Sunday. Um, the same is true for Christmas. Normally, you know, come Christmas time, the stores would be closed for a day or two. Now it's all open. Even IKEA serves like Christmas breakfast and stuff. So there's there's money to be made, and and the the whole idea of a weekend as a time to uh, relax and rest. Rest your brain. Give yourself room to process what's happening in your life. Um, is taken away from us. And we tend to go along with it because we have that inner um, judgment that, well, it's not useful time anyway. If I can't remember what I did during the weekend, then it wasn't a good weekend. And it's, it's not true. Maybe the weekends that you don't recall what you've done were the best weekends because you gave yourself some time to relax. Um, I think it, this whole year for me has been a transition between that hyper-efficiency or that focus on hyper-efficiency um, from there to through the process of letting go and discovering that not everything matters and sometimes if you want to really a, a contribute to people's lives you need to give yourself also the time to process and to learn and uh, you cannot give what you haven't received and processed yourself it's a very basic rule but I think I totally forgot it in the beginning of this year and I also know why because it was this inner voice that told me Thou shalt not be lazy. <laughs> Thou shalt prove yourself, <laughs> the, 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 your worthiness, by just doing a ton of things. And uh, that is, of course, ultimately uh, the perfect recipe for a burnout. Um, and uh, maybe even before it gets to that, it can also decrease the quality of your output because you're just focused on quantity but you don't give yourself the time to mature and to learn and to process um, and then right now I'm in this phase strangely enough at the end of the year where I'm almost in a uh, it, feels, it feels a bit weightless in a certain way like the gravity is no longer there and I'm okay with it I'm floating in a certain way I'm doing my things and it's almost as if everything that gave me stress over the past years and even in the, over the course of this year, one by one was eliminated. And, and of course, stress is never something that comes from outside of you. Stress is your response to what happens outside of you. And if you can change your reaction and your behavior towards potential stress factors then you can determine whether you are stressed or not. And that's a big skill that I had to learn. And it starts with acknowledging that downtime, off time, that no put is just as important as input or output. And um, for the past two months, I would say September, October, when I came back from my summer holiday... Uh, there was still this last thing that needed to be processed. It was this whole, how do I relate to my former job as a television host and a documentary maker? Um, do I need to prove myself there? Do I need to uh, propose new productions, 
um, and force myself to work really hard in these last few months of the year so that I can keep a foot in the door. Um, and that caused stress. And I've had even nightmares of <laughs> situations that were all too real where they were waiting for a television episode and I, I, I wasn't able to finish it in time. And so there was this race against the clock to deliver the episode. I've had nights like that where I would work until the wee hours of the morning in order to finish my work. It's, it's barely a year ago that my life still had those incredible peak moments of peak activity and high exertion, uh, followed by a total uh, breakdown and just overall fatigue. And so I was, but I still had that feeling like, this is maybe something I, I must do and can I do this? And when I want something, or I tell myself that I want something, um, I suffer from one very <laughs> recur irritatingly recurring um, mechanism, and that is that I tend to underestimate what it takes to get something done. I just focus on, this is what I want to reach, and I miscalculate the effort that it takes and the time it takes. So I would write down one episode, editing one documentary, three days. Yeah, oftentimes in the past I had only three days to get that episode out of the door. But those three days were not regular eight-hour days. They were double that amount. They were like 16-hour days, sometimes even more than that. So it wasn't three days. It was more around six, seven, eight days. And, uh, and I think that's where my subconscious mind started to um, do an intervention. <laughs> and so uh, I got more and more and more tired. Not because I was working. That was the weird thing. Like I've, I was like, how can I be so tired that I have to go to bed uh, and I can't stand on my feet anymore. I'm not doing much. I'm just doing my podcast and the occasional TikTok video, a bit of uh, live streaming. Why am I so tired? And so it has to be a physical thing. And so I went to the doctor and we did all the blood works and all that proved negative. And so my doctor told me, you're probably spending more, way more energy on the on processing what is happening in your life and what is happening with people around you than you account for. Effort is not just work or production. It's not just the process of learning. Uh, th this, this processing time is also uh, claiming your energy. And so if you sleep a bit more, then it's just a way in which your body tells you that it needs that sleep. So give it that sleep. If it's in within your power, and it is, that's one of my big advantages. I, I am my own boss in a certain way. Uh, my doctor recommended that I would slow down even more. And this was confirmed just the other day during our board meeting. Um, we, uh, we hadn't seen each other for uh, about a month and a half. And so this past Monday we were talking about uh, the plans for next year uh, because of course we're also a non-profit organization so we have accountability towards you as our audience uh, but also towards the government and uh, society so we need to make these plans we also always need to report on uh, what we've accomplished um, as well as our financial um, overview of where are we right now and how are we doing so we were working our way through these documents um, and I had written the plan for next year and the overall uh, reaction of the board was this is still this feels still like way too much um, so I, I wrote down uh, what I was doing what I hoped to do Maybe in one of the next few episodes we'll talk a little bit more about those plans for next year. But then I also um, 
described the process of getting there, and I try to be as realistic as possible. How much time does it take me to create a TikTok video? What's the amount of effort that goes into a podcast like this one or, or the break? Story secrets, even more time, uh, because there's a lot of research that I need to do before I can uh, uh, record a, an episode like that. So <clears throat> I wrote down this whole list of things that, for me, felt like the minimum. This is, this is the minimum that I do. There, there are no new things there. It's just trying to fine-tune what we've been doing for the past two years. But the board was... Well, if we, if we add up all that time that it takes, it's more than a week. It's, and that's just production. If we look at just the time it takes to produce, to prepare and produce what you are planning to do for 2023, where is the no-put? This is what Simona actually brought up at the end of the conversation. She, she later on sent us uh, like a schematic of... Uh, like a, a vision board of how this, how ideally you would have a balance between input, output, and no put. So it's 40, 40, 40, or is it 40? Mm, I don't actually know why it's 40 or 4, 4, 4. Mm. I don't know exactly what the, there was a numbers thing going on there. Wait a minute. I know that where I am, because I always do my running training here, but I was determining where to go. And uh, I'm going, I'm, I'm uh, walking alongside this uh, green fence. And on the other side is actually a military, uh, what is it, area. I have never seen any soldiers there, but it is apparently a uh, restricted uh, area. So maybe uh, training um training area or whatever or maybe it used maybe it's still owned by the military and they just don't use it never seen anything happening there <laughs> but i'm on the safe side of the fence right now um let's see so uh uh the so the the idea um was that if we want to safeguard um the overall balance of our enterprise and what we are currently doing with Tridio still for a large part of at least the the output the production rests on my shoulders if we want to make sure that that um, uh, continues to be fruitful we need to create more space for the processing just <laughs> if everything is production then ultimately the production will suffer um, and you, you don't recharge your, your batteries, and you don't process what's going on. Plus, of course, in addition to that, we've got all the, the per, personal issues going on uh, with regards to my parents and uh, some other stuff. Uh, and so that, too, will continue to require some time and some, some attention. And so the challenge was... Take, take another good look at that list of ideas and projects and, and see what is truly uh, essential. And if it's something that we want to do and we, we feel that we can do it, but I can't do it, then that may be an occasion to uh, make a plan for, for help, for outside help. Um, and that is especially true when it comes to these documentaries. Uh, if I'm honest, creating a the, the filming process is what I love to do most, and it's certainly something that I, I I miss now that I don't work for TV anymore. But that's only a fraction of the actual time it takes to put a TV episode together. And so, next year, um, if we want to continue this. Uh, this part of my work or our mission, then uh, we have to invest in um, in people that can help me to do part of that work. Maybe not everything, but definitely uh, not something that I can do all by myself. Because if you are honest, if I am honest, if I want, if I would want to do documentaries next year, it would be 
the only thing that I could do. And the same is true for TikTok. If I really want to continue this, this TikTok output, seeing that it takes me about two full days for a two-minute video. <laughs> In addition to that, I've got the podcast that I'm committed to. Then there is no room for documentaries. And so it's all about how can we make sure that next year is less frantic and has more open time. Where am I? This last part of the, the itinerary went uphill, so I'm a little bit out of breath. It is gorgeous, though. I'm so glad I'm outside. And now that I'm walking, um, I'm less cold. <laughs> so my feet were frozen. My toes are so, so cold that it, they started to hurt. Um, but now they're actually quite warm and comfortable. I'm wearing these very thick woolen socks heavy-duty socks uh, that you can use in the mountains. And so that, that plus, the, plus walking around creates enough friction, enough energy to keep me warm. It's nice. Um, so anyway, uh, it's interesting to, um, to have other people <laughs> confirming what my... Uh, physician had already said and what I also have discovered myself um, it is really time for a, a mindset change uh, it's it's not about the output it's not about the amount of hours that I'm working it's not about the efficiency it's all about the balance the right balance and having that time to you know what I, this made me think of um, uh, something they told about uh, Pope John Paul II, which I, I remember when I heard it, I was still in seminary, and uh, uh, Pope John Paul II was still um, in his younger years, you could say, he wasn't as sick as he was in the last 10 years of his pontificate. Uh, when we visited the the Vatican and we went on a pilgrimage and eventually also uh, got to meet the Pope and uh, got to celebrate Mass with him in his private chapel. Um, uh, the people that accompanied us told us that uh, usually Pope Trump II would never work in the mornings. He would always wake up very early, like five o'clock in the morning. I would, he would go to the chapel and pray for about an hour in silence and then usually at 6 or around 6 o'clock, you would have that early morning Mass that we were invited to uh, partake in, um, in the Vatican. And then it, he wouldn't return to his desk. Uh, no, he would just walk around between his private chapel and his uh, study room. And he would read. He would read theologians and... He would sometimes write, um, and then he would just go every once, I don't know exactly about the quantities, but the, the, he would have the, the, um, the host, the, so the sacrament of the Eucharist, exposed on the altar of his private chapel in a monstrance. And he would walk to the chapel all the time to ask some questions or reflect on something or just take a break. And then he would go walk back to his study room and he would continue to reflect. And it's only after lunch that he would uh, have meetings and do his, <laughs> like the common papal duties. And I remember um, when they told us that I was still a seminarian and, well, as I, I explained... Uh, that wasn't an easy time. It was just so much that we had to study. It was, uh, it was an academic study. So um, lots and lots of, of material to read and to process and uh, uh, what is it? Uh, thesis to write. And that the Pope himself actually took a couple of hours in the morning, the most valuable time you could say, to just pray and read and reflect, I, 
I, I just couldn't imagine it. I was like, how, how does he do that? I mean, if there's someone who should be busy, it was the Pope. In hindsight, I think it was an interesting uh, hint that even for a Pope, it is important to keep that balance and to, uh, uh, to not think that his papacy depends on his own work uh, efficiency or uh, or production, and so uh, yeah, it's, that's that's I think what I want to live as a life, and it helps me to also give myself permission to take that time off because I'm I don't want to label it as laziness anymore, as wasting my time. It's this is processing time. This is the, like um, the farmer who even before he sows, let alone uh, goes out for the harvest, is working the ground. He's plowing it and he's preparing it so that when he goes out to actually sow, there, the, the ground is there. And plus then, and this is a biblical example that Jesus himself gives, it's not the farmer who makes things grow. The farmer, after he's been done sowing, he goes to bed. And it's someone else, with a capital S, <laughs> who, uh, who gives the growth to, um, to the seeds. And who will uh, create, ultimately, the harvest. And uh, that's what I keep telling myself. Where am I? Oh, Wow. This is such a gorgeous place here. I'm a, there are one, two, three, four, five different directions that I can take. Um, this is a bike lane, and then here on the left is a, 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 a path for pedestrians that I'm going to take. This is still part of the natural reserve, um, so they can't build anything here, uh, but they do maintain it. It is a curated nature. But I love that they created these. In fact, if you've seen some of my videos that I posted on YouTube uh, half a year ago, I think it was still in the springtime, I showed you what it looks like. Like those bike lanes. That's where I am right now. Anyway. Um, so I, I don't want to label that anymore as a waste of time. And there is this, this one thing. It's something that I really enjoy doing next to cooking and <laughs> Star Wars and reading is is playing video games. And maybe you've heard me complain uh, in one of the live shows. That's usually where I tend to sometimes complain. <laughs> that I missed these extended sessions of gaming. Uh, and I, I, I always had these times where... I would spend hours and hours in Lord of the Rings Online or World of Warcraft at one point. Um, when I first had the Nintendo Switch, it was in the, in the middle of the, the pandemic. I, I spent so... I was about to say wasted. This is how deep this is part of my inner voice. I was about to say I've wasted so many hours. No, I spend so many hours on creating my own homestead inside Animal Crossing, which was a game that everybody was playing at the time. And uh, at, certainly for the first half of this year, I really missed that time off where you could just play a dumb game. I did spend uh, a lot of time in Valheim, where uh, it's kind of a Viking-themed game where... It tells the story of someone who has died here on Earth and then gets into the Viking afterlife. And that actually is very much like <laughs> Norway or something like that. And you can, um, you can build houses. And it's a bit like Minecraft, but way prettier. And then there are also these kind of spiritual afterlife demons, be beings that you have to, um, that you have to conquer. Um, but for me, the, the most interesting and most entertaining part of the game is just to 
to build, uh, to be, I started with building small houses. And then I saw some examples on YouTube of people building like the most magnificent, um, villas and castles. And so I started to copy what I saw on YouTube and it was so much fun, but I still kept telling myself, well, that's also for me a way to stay in touch with the community because some of the other patrons were also, uh, online and, uh, so it was also a bit of community time. But recently, I, I actually, this past week, not this week, but the last week, um, I was so tired, and not just physically tired, but also mentally tired, that I spend almost the entire week just playing this one game. And it's... It's really a game that is... It's, you can barely call it a game. It's called um, Disney's Dreamlight Valley. And it's, so it's a bit like Animal Crossing, but then with Disney characters. So there's this realm, and it's been overtaken by the forces of evil. Um, and you don't know exactly what happens, but everybody... All the characters like Donald Duck and Mickey Mouse and... Uh, uh, Elsa and uh, Anna from Frozen and uh, Wally is there and Buzz Lightyear and Woody they're all there but they, they've lost their memories and so you are trying to help them to find their memories um, and it's it's a game that is mostly consists of fetch quests where it's like oh Hey, partner, I'm Woody, and uh, in order to find my memories, I want you to collect uh, ten blue flowers, um, bake me two cherry cake pies, and also um, uh, here is this magical spade which needs to be enchanted. In or- and so in order to do that, you have to go and talk to Ursula, and then she will give you the order to go talk with Merlin, and then Merlin will tell you to... Um, collect five diamonds and three, that kind of stuff. So it's just you running around fetching stuff and then combining them and then you unlock a new character and and then the, the whole thing starts all over again. It's not even um, a social game in the sense that uh, Animal Crossing, you can still play that and other people can visit your island. So you're building something that you can then show people around. And I had a lot of fun uh, inviting people over to my island last year. With Dreamlight Valley, I don't even think that you can do that. So it's just a game where you're just doing something that has no purpose. And I, I was hooked on the game. Uh, not because the game itself was so special, but I, I was hooked on it because it was, for me, a perfect way to slow down my, my thoughts. Oh, there's a small neighborhood here on the left. Oh, I think that these are mobile homes. Um, this is a, something that is very particular to our Dutch situation, where you have families that uh, for generations have lived in mobile houses, but they look like real houses. They're like, they look a bit like tiny houses, but if you, if you um, like I did a, a documentary about uh, a family in, in one of these houses in a northern part of the country, and the house itself on the inside looks just like a small house, um, but it's still on wheels. If necessary, they can move it. And so they have different... Uh, there are, like, tax exemptions and whatnot. Because it's not really a house. It's a mobile home. Um, anyway. But I never... Well, maybe I've seen this before, but I don't recognize it here. Uh, what was I saying? <laughs> um, yeah. So while playing that game... And I played it for hours every day. Um, and then the next morning, I was like, oh, I should actually sit down and do my show prep for the podcast and maybe think about a TikTok video. And I was like, yeah, but first I want to help Mickey. <laughs> he still needs those red flowers. And um, I, I used to feel very guilty about these times where I would just play so many 
video game, or just usually it was just one video game and it would play for hours and hours. But I noticed that while I was playing these games, I did a lot of thinking. I was constantly re reflecting, like I was almost on autopilot for the game. Um, but I was just at the same time thinking things through and reflecting and processing, literally processing. Sometimes I would listen to an audiobook, not fiction. That was very hard to combine with uh, a game that has a bit of a story. But I would, I would listen to nonfiction, and usually that was also more of a meditative way of, of, of reading a book. Um, it's very different from sitting down and actually focusing on, on the, on the e-book. Uh, just listening while at the same time you're also creating a bit of distance between the, what you're listening to and then... Uh, how do you say that? Because you're playing a game, it's less intense in a certain way. And then I, I, I also, when I, when I was listening to a couple of audiobooks, I also noticed that I was more, I was thinking along with the book. So I was applying it. It's like when you are in church and there is a long homily and, and there are these moments where you just, your brain just takes off and you are thinking about, you're not listening anymore to the homily, but you're applying it and it makes you think of your own life. That sort of, that's that process. Oh my gosh, look at how beautiful this is. There's a whole forest of small, tiny t pine woods here on my left. And they're literally my size. They're like a, a meter and a half. Some of them are two meters high or tall, but they're, uh, they are completely covered in frost. So they are white and there's a little bit of dark green shining through it. It's gorgeous. I think the frost and the ice is melting though because the, 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 um, there are very thick drops of water um, on every branch and it almost looks like that side the, the, the sun is setting and it shines through <laughs> the forest here on my right and hits these little diamonds these these beautiful water drops and so it looks almost as if these trees are, have have christmas lights it's insanely beautiful wow okay so this is this is what i call no put like i'm not thinking about what i'm going to tell you i'm not I'm not producing, I'm not talking. I'm just observing this gorgeous scene and, and hopefully describing it adequately to you. <laughs> oh man, so beautiful. Anyway, uh, I, I think that um, the, the biggest <laughs> hurdle for me uh, to take in this process is to remind myself constantly that this is not laziness, this is not inefficient behavior, this is not forsaking my duties as a priest and as a, uh, a documentary maker and podcaster. This is, this is a time where I need a little bit of extra space to process everything that has happened this year um, and in, in order to prepare the, the ground for what's to come for the next year. I hope that all makes sense. <laughs> I, uh, my apologies if this was a bit long and maybe a bit, like, dry. I don't know if it, if it is dry. <laughs> I didn't have, a, like, one particular story to share with you, but um, thanks for sticking with me until the end. Let me know if this is something that you can relate to. Um, and if you have a moment, please continue to pray for me, for uh, my family, uh, for the the people that I um, that I'm concerned about. Um, also, continue to pray for Father Henry for um, his future in his new parish. Yeah, it's only a few weeks now, and before he will 
move and then the new pastor the new priest it has been announced this past weekend so i can also uh share it with you and it is uh mauricio meneses uh he is a colombian priest came here to the netherlands about 10 years ago as a missionary uh speaks really well dutch and uh, very uh talented enthusiastic uh priest he's been working for five years now in the same parish where i used to work so i know him very well um, and i couldn't be more happy that he is now getting his own parish because back there he was just a parochial vicar now he will be responsible for the vision of the parish and uh, i have uh a lot of trust in him he's a, he's a really nice guy and also a very um spiritual priest someone that i always learn from when i listen to him and so uh continue, also pray for him he's he's very young he's like 38 which to me sounds like a kid which is nonsense of course because when i was 38 years old i felt so old and experienced but it's just because I get older. But um, it's so great to have a, an enthusiastic young priest. Plus, Eric is still there, of course. And so we are... Uh, I think we are blessed with a couple of, uh, of good priests and, and shepherds here for the years to come. And, and knowing that he is going to be Father Henry's successor is also, for me, very reassuring and uh, calming because you never know you know what you have you don't know what you're going to get <laughs> and uh but this is this this is a priest that i um that i trust and that i think i have a, a good understanding how do you say that we're kind of on the same frequency just as i had with father henry even though character wise you may be very different but it's important that you have that same vision that same zeal that same love for the gospel we'll see but it's going to be an interesting year thanks for listening and we'll talk soon god bless